Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. My name is Mike Petriello. I'm a writer and analyst for MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, national content editor for MLB.com. On today's show, we are going to dismantle some of the non-competitive teams to see which interesting players might be out there for potential trade deadline candidates. We're going to talk about the impact to the Tampa Bay Rays losing Tyler Glasnow to an elbow injury. You're going to talk about the surprising outcomes of extra innings strategies. And we're going to talk about the Padres, who just got swept by the Rockies, and also the very weird thing you need to know about the Padres offense. Before we get into that, Matt, I'd like to relate to you a quick baseball story. Last weekend... I packed up the family and we went down to Coney Island to go see a Brooklyn Cyclones game. And if you are listening and you're not familiar with this, the Cyclones are a Mets uh, A-ball team and they play on Coney Island in a ballpark literally built like into the boardwalk. It's super cool. The rides are right there. You could get from your seats into the ocean in about two and a half minutes if you really wanted to. And it happened to be the game where Jeff McNeil was doing his first rehab game because he's been out for a couple of weeks with a hamstring issue. And I was there and I told my son who's five and is now like a giant baseball nut, like, hey, I don't know most of the guys on these teams, but I know Jeff McNeil, like he's a real Met. You should pay attention to him. And what happened was we had seats down the first baseline, but like in the front row when we were a little bit past first base out into right field. And when Jeff McNeil was playing second and in the shift, he was not that far away from us. And I said to my son, I'm like, that's him. That's the Met. That's Jeff McNeil. You should yell, hi, Jeff. And I didn't think he'd do it. And he did. And Jeff McNeil, like clearly heard it and he looked over uh, and saw an adorable little boy in a Mets hat and he smiled and waved in the middle of the game. And my son has not stopped talking about it. <laughs> so while I highly doubt Jeff McNeil listens to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, if you do, thank you. That was super cool. <laughs> you made a you made a little boy's day and uh, he's now a giant baseball fan. <laughs> I felt like I had to pass that along to people. I've got two points to make on that, one of which is... Mike, Brooklyn is loaded with prospects. Ryan Mauricio, Britt Beatty, <laughs> okay. Francisco okay. Alvarez. Second of which, um, you know, I too took uh, my family to a baseball game last weekend, Mets Padres on, on Sunday. And we were fortunate, you know, a similar kind of hopefully like, you know, baseball life-changing experience happened in which a kind security guard got a foul ball and gave it to my uh, my older daughter off the nice. bat of Jerks and Profar. So we, uh, I've, I've never gotten a ball. I've gotten hundreds of baseball games. I've never gotten a ball. <laughs> Me neither. That's but funny. A kind, a kind security guard gave one to my older daughter. 
Yeah, when I took my son to a Yankees Rays game a couple weeks ago, like the thing he talked about the most was the the guy in like the next section over from us making a killer catch of a foul ball. <laughs> I was like, I I've been going to baseball games for thirty five years and I've never caught a foul ball. Um, so hooray for baseball and hooray for young children uh, making good memories at baseball games. Unfortunately, there are some teams who are not making good memories. And <laughs> listen, we're only a, what five ish five and a half weeks away from the trade deadline we're more than 40 percent of the way through the season i know it doesn't seem like that but it, it's not too early to look at uh, buyers and sellers you know i wrote about it uh, for the site this morning and using fangar's playoff odds i identified you know 19 potentially competitive teams uh you know some obviously good ones and some in the middle and 11 lesser competitive teams and uh, we're not going to go through all 11 but matt and i have identified like some of the teams who are clearly not going to be competitive this year and we're trying to figure out who might be available. Who can you scavenge from these teams? And there's really only one place to start here. Can you believe the Diamondbacks have 22 straight road losses? 13 straight losses overall. 5 and 36 in their last 41 games. That is the worst mark by a National League team in any 41 game span since, wait for it, the 1909 Boston Doves. Wow. They've lost 22 straight road games. That ties the 63 Mets and the 43 Philadelphia A's for the longest road losing streak since 1900. And here's my favorite part of this. I did not realize this till like an hour ago. The last time they won a game on the road was the Madison Baumgartner seven inning. Is it a no hitter? No, it's really not. That was on April 25th in Atlanta. Here's what's happened in baseball since April 26th. Tampa Bay has won 32 games overall, not just on the road. Vlad Jr. has hit 18 homers. Nick Castellanos has won, has 62 hits. And Zach Wheeler has struck out 92 batters. All since the Diamondbacks last won a game on the road. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Diamondbacks fans. I don't mean to laugh, but it's deeply funny to me. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 unfortunate. I think it doesn't feel like they should be that this bad. Their lineup has some interesting some interesting hitters. Their rotation, I mean, they got some good news today in that Zach Gallon was just activated from the injured list. They've been missing him most of the year. Um, so I guess that's 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 a positive, but um Man, when it rains, it pours, and um, it's uh, it's not looking good for. I didn't think of them as a playoff team, but I certainly didn't think I certainly didn't think that um, they would be this bad. But they, they, as I mentioned, they have some interesting players, so they actually might have some interesting players to trade. Yeah, I mean, I think going into the season, I had them definitely as fourth, and I would have I didn't do like win loss projections, but I probably would have said seventy eight wins or so. Uh, they are not going to get there, and it's interesting when you look at their team. Like, I think. The guy who most play, most people would want uh, is Cattell Marte because he's been really good. But, you know, he signed for like, what, three or four more years. I'm not sure they actually want to move him if they want to be competitive in the near future. Uh, what about Eduardo Escobar? He's kind of cool because he can play a couple different spots. He's got 15 home runs. Uh, you know, he's not like a great on base guy, just 292 this year. But, you know, a switch hitter with pop who can play a bunch of spots in the infield. I feel like there's there's barely a team in baseball who couldn't use a guy like that. Like that's, that's my number one guy, right? Uh, you like him. I'm looking at our notes here. You like him for San Francisco. I think that's interesting. Well, because I mean, they, they, they have a bunch of right-handed hitters who play second and third. So he's a good balance there. You know, uh, Donovan Solano, Evan Longoria, Wilmer Flores, all right-handed hitters. And um, also Longoria has been hurt. So he's like a little bit of insurance there against, you know, Longoria's injuries. So any fits just sort of the, the, uh, the, the giants like, 
motif of like veteran competence. Um, <laughs> I think um, you know, he, he just sort of fits well there, you know, I get, you know, yes, in the division, but like, I don't think that that would be, this is not a situation where I think that they would be like, oh, we're not trading Eduardo Escobar to the Giants. Like yeah. they're, they're out of it. Um, Escobar is a free agent after this season. He doesn't have a huge contract. Again, he's not going to bring um, back a ton. And that's the thing about position players, right? Anytime you're talking about a position player who's like a half season rental, you're not going to get a ton back. Um, so if I'm looking at players who are like most likely to be traded, I feel like he is on the the short list for the reasons we mentioned. Versatile switch hitter, not making a lot of money on a team that's going nowhere this year. Yeah, I am. I'm going to have him to Milwaukee, but that's only because as you will soon see any hitter with a pulse, I'm going to say he needs to go to Milwaukee. Uh, do you think they'll trade Marte? I don't really think they will. I don't I think they will, but that's yeah. like, he's like the, one of the potential kind of, I don't want to say blockbuster because he's not necessarily, you know, that you know, famous, I guess, but he's been really good this year. Um, and uh, he can, he can play second base. He can play, you know, center field, presumably play, play a corner outfield spot as well. If the Braves decide they wanted to go all in, they have a bunch of young outfielders. They could try to trade and, you know, drew waters, Christian Pache to try and entice the D backs to make a deal. So like, I think there's, I, I'm curious to see if like they would, uh, they would consider doing that, although maybe there'd be like PTSD for the Diamondbacks from the uh, the Dansby Swanson uh, Shelby Miller trade from a few years ago. Yeah, I, I actually think the Diamondbacks will be quiet at the deadline because Bumgarner's hurt and has a big contract. Merrill Curley hasn't been very good. Uh, they don't really have like any particularly interesting relievers. I don't think they'll trade Marte. I don't think they can trade Nick Ahmed. But the other guy I think they could trade would be Estrubal Cabrera, who is a veteran backup multi-positional, kind of like Escobar, really. And he's been... He's been hitting pretty well. Um, the other team that has had a road loss problem would be Baltimore. And Baltimore has had 18 straight road losses. <laughs> Oof. Um, it's kind of gone It's kind of gone under the radar because of the time and facts. Well, they just had like the, the streak of losses entirely. And like early on in the season, I was like, okay, you know, Baltimore is a little more interesting than I thought. Like John Means uh, looks like a real deal. Like I'm kind of in on John Means. And there's some interesting relievers here. And, you know, like Trey Mancini's comeback has been great and last week we talked about Cedric Mullins and he's been fantastic and it's like the farm system is is perking up right like Rodriguez and Rutschman and a couple other guys like I feel like they had maybe hit the bottom you know and we're starting to come back up and maybe from like a top-down organizational point of view that's true but the major league team is still you know in rough shape and I don't think they were ever going to trade John Means but now he's hurt I don't think they're going to trade Cedric Mullins because I think he's maybe part of the future. Do you think they can trade Mancini? Like, that's the thing. How much of this is his story has been like very inspirational and heartwarming and it's, you know, it's beat cancer and he's come back not only healthy, but successfully, right? Like, can you trade that guy? Um, It's, I think it's a little bit of a tough sell in terms of like, if you're the Orioles, there's not a lot of reasons to like be that excited about the Oriole. Like you want, you want to keep your fans engaged, right? How do you keep your fans engaged when you're rebuilding? And there's not much, you know, Cedric Mullins is a, as a Mullins and means are like the two positives are like, Hey, these guys could be a part of our future. But in terms of just like players, fans feel fondness for. And like, I know we like to think of this as like stratomatic and it's all done in a vacuum, but it's not right. And Mancini is like, you know, basically right up there on the list of like reasons for a fan to care and be invested in the Orioles right now and his story. So I think, unless he went to the team and was like, listen, like I want to go someplace where I could win. If you could trade me, I'd be all for it, which I don't think he would do. Cause he's also, I mean, I'm just sort of speculating here, but he's young enough that like he'll be a free agent after next season. So he will get an opportunity probably to go someplace, um, you know, pick a destination where, um, 
he could have a chance to win. So I, I, I kind of agree with you. I just, I don't really see it happening. Yeah. And if you don't trade Mancini and if you don't trade Mullins, there's not really another position player who's all that interesting. And aside from means, the rotation is terrible. They, they do have like three or four relievers I find pretty fascinating. Like Paul Fry is interesting. Cole Sulzer, uh, Tanner Scott, Cesar Valdez. I think people may think I made up a bunch of those names. <laughs> those are real guys. They're actually all interesting to me uh, in a lot of different ways. There, there was something I like once I realized we were going to be talking about Arizona and Baltimore and their road losing streak, there was something I desperately needed to point out. Would you believe that neither team is the worst road record of 2021? <laughs> Arizona has 22 straight road losses. Baltimore has 18 straight road losses. Neither team has the worst road record. Colorado has a 5-27 and 27 record on the road. That is a 156 winning percentage. It is the worst road record of all time. <laughs> the previous record, and I use record. W- worst, record is it, it, worst, worst winning percentage, you mean? Well, yeah. Right. yeah. Previous record, 1935, the Braves had a 167. And, you know, nobody expected the Rockies to be any good, and they're not any good, except for this. They somehow have a really good record at home. They're 23 and 14. They just swept the Padres, which we'll get to. They have the seventh best road record, uh, home record. And our friends Andrew Simon and Sarah Langs looked this up. The gap between their 156 on the road and 622 at home is unsurprisingly the largest of all time. And I'm not entirely sure what to make of that. I know, obviously, core is going to course, but. Um, this team just gets weirder by the day. I think everybody thinks Trevor Story is going to get traded. I think it's hard to know how this front office is going to operate because they've got you know an interim GM who's been their amateur scouting guy for many years. Story seems obvious. Um, I can see CJ Crone going to somewhere he needs a first baseman. Can I give you like an extreme hot take alert here? Sure. Trade Austin Gomber. <laughs> okay. Hear me out on this. The deeply unpopular Nolan Arenado trade brought back uh, a couple of prospects who won't be in Colorado anytime soon, and Austin Gomber, who has actually been pretty good, like all things considered. You know, 354 ERA. Uh, he started 14 games. And when I was looking through trade possibilities yesterday, what I realized is that the starting rotation market is just deeply terrible, <laughs> like really bad. Everyone's hurt or bad, right? Like the, I came up with like 15 starting pitching names, and it's like, oh, well, Scherzer's hurt, Boyd's hurt. Bumgarner's hurt, Means is hurt, Pineda's hurt, right? Or it's like, well, Matt Harvey's been bad, and Jay Happ's been bad, and Merrill Kelly's been bad. And is the number one starting pitcher available <laughs> Kyle Gibson? Because I, I think it might be. Is it Yusei Kikuchi if he's available? It's it's going to be grim out there. You turned Austin Gomber in like a pretty good starting pitcher, but I don't think anyone thinks of him as an ace. If you can flip him now for something interesting, go ahead, do it. They'll never do it, right? But tell me I'm wrong. He, he's such he's, he's kind of such a strange profile because he's you know he's bare, he's basically like it's what his second year um, but he's almost 28 years old so he's not young he's under team control through 2025 but like it seems we're talking about you know 100 innings 110 innings of the last two years but it feels kind of real um his fielding independent pitching was 354 last year which is basically on an ERA scale controlling for strikeouts and walks and home runs um this year's three six seven, um, so it's not like you know you you you, you don't want to just throw out weird course lukiness. Like it seems to be like something. There's something there. It's an interesting thought. They'll never do it. But it's no, never ever. <laughs> 
Um, they have to trade story though, right? And to me, there are two teams that are the obvious teams that need shortstops, and that's Oakland, where Andrus has been pretty bad, although better lately. And Cincinnati, where when Mustakas comes back, they're probably going to put Suarez back at shortstop, but Suarez hasn't hit or fielded. Uh, story to Oakland, I think you brought this up a week or two ago, which I'm, I'm all in on, especially now that Milwaukee has a Thomas. And uh, we'll get to the Twins in a second, but Simmons to the Reds, right? Those are the shortstop teams? Yeah, definitely. And that's it seems like, I I, I mean, I, I can't know for sure, but it feels like those two teams will get those two guys you know it's like in what it's almost like a game of chicken of like how much are they willing to give up it'll be like the reds versus the a's for uh uh simmons and story because as you may have noticed the reds my pick to win the nl central are red hot and are now two games out of first place only one game in the only one game in the loss column and as we know that's all that really matters is the loss column so they are right there they're playing well um Tyler, I always can't pronounce his last name. Molly, Mal, Tyler Molly. Yeah. Tyler Molly was amazing again yesterday. Twelve strikeouts in six innings. So, uh, watch out. The the Reds Reds bandwagon is is uh is filling up. I'm interesting I, to see. Interesting to see what ends up happening with these two shortstops. I like how you toss that at me as though I picked the Reds to finish in last place. <laughs> like I had them in second. I think the Reds are good. All right. As we can continue our cavalcade of misery, um, the the Pirates are in last place. But I have to. I have to say there's a lot of a lot more interesting players in the Pirates than I thought, right? Like if you look at the Pirates roster, um, I'm I'm kind of fascinated by Colin Moran. You know, like he's he, last year his underlying stack has metrics were kind of interesting. This year he's got a 123 OPS plus. Uh, he can't really play third anymore, but you know who needs a lefty first baseman like desperately? Boston. Like absolutely, they need a lefty first baseman. That is that is like my number. Well, we'll get to somebody else. That is my number two fit of player and team is Colin Miranda Boston. My number one fit is Pittsburgh second baseman, Adam Frazier. And I don't know how he's not already on the White Sox because Nick Madrigal is out for the season. Adam Frazier is 29 years old and he's, he's having a pretty good year. I mean, he's 35% above average, good fielding at second can actually play a little bit of outfield too. I don't think he's actually this good of a hitter. He never has been before, but the White Sox are trying to get by with Danny Mendick and Leary Garcia. That's not going to do it. And Frazier makes a ton of contact. I that is like the number one fit to me. He just he feels like a White Sox player. Maybe it's because they already have Adam Engel and Adam Eaton. It's just like oh, like Adam like Adam Frazier is like how is he not already on the White Sox? Um, so there's just a sort of a psychological fit there. I also could see Escobar being a fit there. Eduardo Escobar we mentioned before, another guy um, uh, who can play play second base. But yeah, that that seems like an obvious one. There's going to be the the White Sox will acquire a second baseman. It's a matter of like. Who are they going to go get? Yeah, other guys in the Pirates. Uh, you could probably get Gregory Polanco if you wanted to think you could fix him. I don't. I don't know how many teams will want to gamble on that. You could probably get Jacob Stallings if you needed some catching depth. Brian Reynolds has been really good. I don't know if they're going to trade him because he's got it. You know, he's only twenty six. He's not a free agent for a while. But if you're a team that needs a center fielder or a left fielder, like desperately, the Yankees or Braves, like he would be an amazing fit. I don't think they'll actually do it. Um, and then in the bullpen, Rich Rodriguez. Uh, it's actually been like quietly fascinating over the last couple of years. He's 31 years old. He's not going to be around well, the next time they're good. He's got a, a 171 ERA, and last year he struck everybody out. He, you know, when I wrote about teams and needs, I specifically said I'm not going to talk about bullpens because everybody on earth needs a reliever. But oh my God, do the Blue Jays need a reliever? <laughs> like really, yeah. desperately. The Phillies too. So if those teams are really going to, you know, con- convince they're going to try and go for it this year, the Phillies always need a reliever more than anyone. 
to me, the Blue Jays are the obvious fit for Rodriguez. The one, I don't want to say like, I don't want to call it a red flag because he's still been very effective. His strikeouts are, are way down last from last year. So it almost yeah. feels like last year might be more of the outlier, but he's still been effective. So he might be one of the better relievers available. He's also not a rental, right? He's he's under, uh, I think he's arbitration eligible for two more years after this. Something two like that. Two more years after this. So like, he's not going to bring back a ton, but you might get something, you might get sort of an interesting kind of B prospect for him. Um, a, a, a team really desperate for for bullpen help might, might, might be willing to give that up. Yeah, I don't know if it's still true, but when I wrote about him over Memorial Day, I said that uh, he has the highest percentage of fastballs thrown by a right-handed pitcher ever on record. Like nobody, no right-hander has ever thrown fastballs more often because usually it's lefties. It's like Doolittle, you know, Jake McGee, those kind of guys. Um, the Twins are going to be a seller. And every time I think that the Twins are going to turn it around, they don't. <laughs> I've there is, there is like a solid month where I was like, well... This is a bad start, but this team's really good. They'll get healthy. They'll be fine. It is not going to be fine. No, like they are. I'm out. Like I'm jumping ship. Um, they're in a weird spot, though, right? Like Simmons seems like an obvious guy to trade. The bat hasn't been great. The defense is still fantastic. He's only signed for one year. I mean, we talked about him to the Reds makes a ton of sense. Um, it'd be fun to see them trade Byron Buxton. I don't think they'll actually do it. You can't yes, really... Yes. He has to get healthy first and show he can play. That's the thing. Yeah. It'd be fun to trade Miguel Sano. I don't think you can get anything for him. I'd kind of like to see them, once he's healthy, trade Mitch Garver. I think that could be kind of fun. You know, would you trade for Kenta Maeda? I'm sure someone would like to try it, but he hasn't really been that good this year. Um, is Nelson Cruz a Ray yet? How about that? A's. This is, again, like Trevor Story, okay. this, is an a, this is an A's move. And he was actually once an Oakland A. He was traded in 2000. From the Mets to the A's for Jorge Valandia was in the A's was in the A system for four years before mid debut. He was traded to the Brewers in December of two thousand four before debuting in two thousand five with the Brewers. So um, this it's it's a very A's move. Some like you know high big name player. They're getting they're not getting much production out of their DH spot. Um, that's the one I can dream on. But the the Rays always are a logical fit for Cruz as long as he's still around. Well, we usually call our opening topic the the opener, but we're, I guess, turning this one into just a starting pitcher because we're going on with this one. Uh, we're going to go with the two more teams here. Seattle, number one. I know they're like vaguely competitive. They're only two games under 500, but you know they don't really have a, a meaningful shot. Um, Mitch Hanniger has always seemed like an obvious guy when he's healthy, and it's not like they don't have outfield prospects they'd like to, to see. So... Um, he'd be a great fit for a bunch of places. Like I'd love to see him with the White Sox right now. I think that would be a lot of fun. Could you trade Kyle Seeger? Maybe, but he's got you know not having a good year, and he's got a clause in his contract where if he gets traded, his 2022 player option immediately vests. So I'm not sure how many teams want that. Um, would they trade Kikuchi? That would be kind of cool if you look at it and say, well, nobody's got starters. I bet you'll trade Ke- Kendall Graveman. Once he's healthy, because he's been a really good reliever. <laughs> Someone who's been I mean, a big Kendall, Gra- <laughs> yeah. a big, Ken- big Kendall Graveman fan for years. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm glad to see him finally uh, get it together. I don't think they trade Kikuchi. You know, they signed him to a long term deal, um, and he's he's still young enough that like he could, you know, if, if they think they're building, you know, if they they're, they're hoping that you know in the next couple of years they really start to you know pick things up. He signed through 2025 at a, a, a modest, you know, relatively modest number. And if you think he's a good a mid-rotation starter, I think they want to they want to, uh, to to keep him around. I don't think they'll trade Kikuchi. Yes or no, do they trade Hanniger? Um, I think so. What about the Braves? I mean, if the Braves are making trades, like they need an outfielder. And Hanniger, again, also not a rental. I could. Does, does, yeah. That seems like it might make some sense. Well, they need an outfielder, but I, I think the problem is that 
uh, I think the Braves are deeply in trouble. I'm not actually sure the Braves will be a buyer in a month. That's why I think that's thing. If they're going to make a move, I think they should do yeah. it now. Oh, that's fair. All right. And our final team, uh, the Miami Marlins, who are, I can think as expected, like interesting and fun, but not actually that good. Like they're in last place. They're 10 games under 500. Um, and it's, it's funny how like as expected, this is all played out, you know, like has the rotation been pretty fun and young and interesting, even without Sixto Sanchez? Yeah, we've talked a lot about Trevor Rogers on the show. Has the offense been any good? Not really. But they do have, I think, let's see, two really interesting names. Um, Starling Marte, I think. He's been awesome lately. And I know the Yankees would probably prefer a lefty bat, which he's not. But Starling Marte would look so good in the outfield for the Yankees. Like that would be perfect. And um, the other one is Jesus Aguiar, the first baseman who's, who's actually had a couple of pretty good seasons. And if you need a first baseman, like Boston needs a first baseman. I'll, I'm looking at our notes here and I know what you're about to say. And I love it. Like I want to preface this by saying, I love it. It's never going to happen. <laughs> never. Go ahead. All right. I think he's a great fit on the Padres. You know, in the okay. piece you wrote about trade fits, um, Eric Hosmer just has not been very good at all this year or last year. He just like he just not much doesn't do much on offense. And I think you could justify not benching him, but limiting his playing time if you had a right-handed hitting slugger to sort of do a, a someone like Aguiar on a contending team with a left-handed hitting first baseman could be like a platoon start against most lefties, great pinch hitting bat off the bench, and also in the games he starts, you take him out after his third or fourth at bat in the seventh inning, and Hosmer comes in. For defense, I think this is the same. This also applies to like CJ Crone or any other like right-handed hitting first baseman would fit nicely on the um, on the Padres. Again, it's sort of maybe you're probably right. They're just like sold on Hosmer. They think he's part of their team. They're not going to consider doing you know kind of benching him. But I I could if he if he's still hitting like this on July 31st, getting a right-handed hitting first baseman, court right-handed hitting corner type usually does not cost a lot in trade at the deadline. Um, I will note that though that Aguiar is not again he's he has one more year of arbitration so he wouldn't be a rental so maybe not quite a great but like I think that's an interesting fit. Uh, I love it. It's never going to happen, but I love it. You know where he should go. You know what team could badly use a right-handing hitting first baseman, and it's a team that's not actually difficult to picture what he'd look like in their uniform. The Milwaukee Brewers. They desperately need a bat. He had his best year in 2018. There, he had 35 home runs. If you like Vogel back, well, he's a lefty and. Aguiar is not. That's that's the best fit. Um, but it's fun to think about the fact that the trade deadline, uh, which is June 30th, uh, July 30th this year, is not actually that far away. And I think you will start seeing some trades sooner than later because some of these teams we went through obviously don't have any chance of winning this year. And as you kind of alluded to with the Braves, um, if you're in the middle, you can't wait. You need the benefit of these additions. Now, we will take a quick break and we will come back with our three batter minimum. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. 
Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com MLB. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Mentions podcast. Each week we go through a three batter minimum, which is three interesting topics of the week. As much as I don't want to talk about this when the best team in baseball loses their best pitcher, unfortunately, we got to talk about Tyler Glasnow and his injured elbow. Tyler Glasnow had thrown 88 innings this year, a 266 ERA, finally delivering on this immense promise we'd seen, you know, flashes of over the years. Obviously, he throws hard. His curveball is great. He'd added a new breaking pitch. Like he had finally put it together to look like a capital D dude. And now he's out for an indeterminate length of time. He's not out for the season yet. He's not having Tommy John yet. He's going to try to rehab and potentially be back later in the season. Um, this is a huge blow for, for him, for the Rays, for the sport. Uh, obviously, he had some thoughts on why that happened with the ball, and that's possible. And I guess we'll see what happens uh, in the future with pitchers. But also, if you throw 100 miles an hour, uh, elbow injuries are potentially in your future. And when I look about the Rays, and like, I don't want to, I don't want to like gloss past losing a Cy Young candidate because like he's fantastic, and this would hurt any team. But it's funny, like when I look at the depth they've got, there are teams who would be in much worse situation. So their rotation right now, as it stands today, Ryan Yarborough, who's been really good, Rich Hill, who's been really good, uh, Josh Fleming, Shane McClanahan, and Michael Waka is going to come back. But then also, Chris Archer will be back. Luis Patino is around. Joe Ryan, Brent Honeywell. We talked about Shane Baz uh, last week, who just made his AAA debut. And finally, not a starter, but I had to at least mention it. One of the relievers they got back from Milwaukee in the Willie Adamas trade is Drew Rasmussen. He's pitched 11 and a third innings for AAA Durham. 23 strikeouts and two walks. It's almost like the Rays know how to grow pitchers. <laughs> so uh, does this change your outlook on, I mean, it hurts it obviously, but like on how, how the Rays are going to do in the East for the rest of the year? Well, I mean, we talked last week and I think in the podcast talked about whether or not, the, you know, I, I said I thought the Yankees um, could catch them. All the Yankees have since lost ground since then and now set seven games back of the Rays. So I think the Rays are in good position for at least maintaining a playoff spot, but the Red Sox are only one game behind them. Um, and there's no question this hurts. If there's, as you said, if there's one team that can sort of quote unquote afford to lose an ace pitcher, it's the Rays just because they have so much depth. And that while they can't make up for it in maybe in the quality of one, they can make up for it with quantity. Um, so um, I still, they, for the, the depth reason, I still would sort of pick them to hold on and win the East. But yeah, I mean, it, 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 more than anything, it changes the calculation in the postseason, right? If they get there. So when they get there of having a guy like Glasnow starting game one of the series. Uh, we have a Tampa Bay Rays trade alert. This is real time as we're doing a podcast here. And it's interesting only in the sense of what two teams are doing this, which is why I'm dragging this out briefly so I can try to look this up on Baseball Reference. They have traded for Mike Ford who the Yankees, I believe, had DFA'd the other day. A Yankees and Rays trade is deeply rare. And so, okay, I was able to just look this up quickly. There's only been three in history, and one of them doesn't count. In 2006, they purchased Nick, the Yankees purchased Nick Green from the Devil Rays. That's not a trade. In 2016, the Rays purchased catcher Carlos Corporan from the Yankees. That's not a trade. And in 2018, there was the big three-team trade 
that involved, let's see, this is the one where like Steven Souza and Colin Poche and Brandon Drury were involved with Arizona. So if my like three and a half seconds of real-time research is accurate, this is like the first trade, like a one-on-one trade they've ever done. And even yeah. this though, but this is like, wasn't he designated for assignment? Yeah, so like he was. They, they, yeah. they must have clicked, I'm assuming the race claimed him on waivers and they just like worked out a trade. Uh, well, it says in exchange for cash considerations and a player to be named later. Hey, listen, I'll take what I can get. It's, <laughs> it's weird and it's interesting. And Mike Ford is not going to be the one to change the uh, the Rays playoff calculations here. But no, I mean, the thing we talked about with the Rays is like, yeah, their pitching is generally fine. It's usually about their offense and the offense has been pretty good. Like, I don't trust the Yankees right now, I think. Like, I keep waiting for them to come out of it. And Gary Sanchez has been great lately. Like, that helps. But they need an outfielder. If they get Starling Marte, right, uh, maybe I'll change my mind. The, the Red Sox rotation has been awful. And um, it, <laughs> I know I ranted last week about like how to understand the context of spin rate changes. But every time I see an article saying, well, since we started talking about substances and spin, the Red Sox rotation has been bad. And I'm like, wait a minute. Is it more surprising they're bad now or that they were good early? Because <laughs> nobody <laughs> thought they were going to be any good. It's the It's that one. Like They're coming back to earth in a very predictable way. And they'll get Chris Sale at some point. I'm still going to go with the Rays here. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. The one guy I'm really interested in watching on the Yankees in the in the short term is Jameson Tyon because he has one of the, a huge gap between his ERA and his expected ERA. Um, and I'm wondering, like his ERA five seven four, oof. His expected ERA three nine two, okay, not great. But like, if he had a three point nine two ERA right now, no one would be freaking out about Jameson Tyon. I think there's probably a little more they could be getting out of him than they are. Um, his like secondary metrics are kind of all over the board. So I'm not saying I say this with any certainty. I'm just more like I'm interested to see what's going to happen with him um, in his next few starts. I agree. All right. Our second topic here, the Padres just got swept by the Rockies. Uh, the Padres are collapsing. They are 4-13 and 13 in their last seven games. Now, there's still six games over 500. They're six games out in the West, but 4-13. and 13, And while I, as we said, the Rockies are playing pretty well at home, they're still... Not something you want to do is being swept by the Rockies. Here's the thing that's weird to me, right? The big problem, um, aside from, you know, like Blake Snell had another poor start yesterday, is the offense. Overall, this offense that we thought was going to crush is 16th best in baseball, if you look at weighted runs created plus. And in June, it's been worse. They are tied for the third worst in MLB. Only Arizona and Texas are hitting the ball, you know, less effectively. So that's fine. But this is the weird thing. If you look at hard hit rate, you know, hard hit rate is a ball hit 95 miles an hour or more. Right now in June, and granted, we're only halfway through the month, they have a hard hit rate of 47.6% of batted balls. That is the best hard hit rate of any team in any month in StatCast since the 2015, right? It's just above Atlanta and the Dodgers from last September, Toronto from April 2018. And I saw that and I'm like, wait a minute, you guys are killing the ball. And your offense is terrible. Like, what is what is happening right now? And part of it, as you'd expect, is, you know, maybe some bad luck. They have the third lowest batting average on balls in play. Uh, part of it is they're striking out more than average. Part of it is they are hitting into the ground more than average. But mostly, they're not getting production on those hard hit balls. They're only hitting 422 on hard hit balls. And maybe that sounds good. But the average this month is 501. Best teams at 609. And the thing that stands out to me the most is it's not everybody like Tommy Pham has been great lately you know 913 OPS over the last month uh Tatis has eight homers in his last 18 games although that's kind of all he's doing is on base percentage is poor and Grisham's been pretty good in four games since he's come back uh, what is happening with the Padres right now I'm not sure you know that I, I I uh 
as I said, I was at the uh, the game on Sunday against the Mets, and they, I think they scored the, that was the game they scored like seven runs. Tatis hit a grand slam, which was cool. But in the previous two games, they scored a total of two runs, um, and then they went to Colorado and got shut down by Austin Gomber in uh, in Colorado. I mean, the, re- the reality is we kind of talked about it before. Eric Hosmer, not that he was ever expected to be like an offensive star, like you sort of, you know. There's like, you know, his defense and kind of like soft factors are reason you sign him. He just hasn't really contributed much uh, on offense. There's that. And Machado's just been okay, you know, on the season. He's only slugging 423. Um, last year, Will Myers actually led them in slugging. And this year, he's slugging 378. So, like, there's just the guys who they were counting on for big power. Those two guys, two of those guys are just not giving them that at all. Yeah, if you look at the trio of Machado, Hosmer, and Myers last year, they were great. 929 OPS, and this year, 701 OPS. And like, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm out on the Padres by any means because there's too much talent here, and obviously Tatis is great, and you know, Udarvish has been really good, and Musgrove has been really good. But what, it's just the fact that they're not hitting is is mystifying to me. Like these other guys, and I'm not sure you can really do much. You know, like you said, maybe get a, a right-handed first baseman. That's fine. But at the end of the day, you need Machado to hit and you need Myers to hit and you need Hosmer to do something a little more. And you also need the guys who are hitting to keep it up. I um, mean, this is this is going to sound like a gross, gross oversimplification, but like at least the hard hit numbers give you some feeling that, okay, they're doing something right. And maybe there are some, 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 some small adjustments a few of their hitters can make that can sort of, you know, tweak that a little bit and get them back on track. You know who the next two Padres series are against? Cincinnati and the Dodgers. So it's not exactly like an easy road. Uh, And then they get to play Arizona, but it's in Arizona. So maybe it's not as easy as being at home. Our third topic here, I wanted to look into, you know, we're like a year now into the man on second in extra innings. And I know, I know that's a topic that is very emotional for a lot of people. A lot of people just truly hate it. I have sort of changed my mind on some of these rules. I am, I am out on the seven inning doubleheader. I no longer like that. Baseball games should be nine innings. I'd, I'd be happy if that changes. This I'm kind of into. I wouldn't mind if you started it in the 11th, maybe not in the 10th. Um, but you know, it, it's supposed to make sure we don't have endless extra inning games, and that's that's true. You know, we've had 180 extra inning games this year and last year. Only 25% of them even made it into the 11th inning. Only 8% of them made it into the 12th inning. Only three games have gone 13 or more. I'm I am fine with that. And I've heard people say, well, you know, it's unfair to either the home team or the visitor team, depending on which point you want to make. The home team is 89 and 91 in those games. That's almost exactly 500. But here was the thing that was interesting to me. When we first realized this was going to happen last year, you have a runner on second and no outs. I think everybody worried, well, insta-sack bunt. It's going to be just like sack bunts on top of sack bunts or maybe intentional walks. And I looked into it because the rule had been in the minor leagues. And I was like, you know what? It actually, it didn't end up that way because if you're the road team, you can't really play for one run knowing that the home team also gets this opportunity. And if you're the home team and you're losing, well, then you really can't play for one run. So I just, it didn't seem like that was going to happen. And it hasn't. So far, only about 11% of innings have started with a sacrifice bunt. It's actually less than was in the minors. Um, That's not surprising to me. Here's the weird thing. I don't actually have a good answer to this. When teams have bunted, right, to start an inning, they win, they have won 72% of the time. You mean, you mean a, success, a successful sacrifice bunt, is that correct? No, I just mean a bunt. I just mean okay. a bunt. Yeah. A bunt in play. Yeah. Uh, right. If you bunt and you don't make contact and you strike out, it, the tracking doesn't really reflect that. But even if you screw it up, right? Here's the best part. When a home team bunts to lead off the bottom of the 10th inning, they are 16-2. and two. <laughs> 
That's 12 and one when they are tied, four and one when they're down. I should point out that um, not all of those wins came in the inning of the bunt, right? Most of them did. There was a couple where it's like you bunted, didn't score, and then won the game later, but most of them came in that inning. Um, I guess what that says is, I don't want to say teams should bunt more. I really don't want to say that. Maybe it's about if you if you have a guy where you're confident that he can bunt and isn't a great hitter, and there's probably few of those guys in baseball right now, and you're in that situation, you should feel maybe more comfortable as the home team, but only when you're tied, right? If you're down, you need multiple runs. Yeah? That's fair. One thing I will say about the, and I, I again, I understand why people are emotional about this, um, and I'm not, I don't even sure if how I feel, like I'm, I'm just like fine with it. It doesn't really bother me. Um, but one thing I will say about the extra inning, the man on second, is that one of the most common complaints you hear about baseball is that the sport has become kind of too one-dimensional. One it's just guys trying to hit home runs. And there's not enough strategy. There's not enough small ball. And the one thing that the runner on second does, it does introduce a lot of strategy <laughs> and a lot of potential small ball strategies. So it's like there's a weird disconnect between – because otherwise, in before this, that's why I actually sort of got grown a little tired of extra innings is that all it was was – guys trying to hit home runs down the game. It actually was, almost, I always felt it was almost like an extreme version of the, the sport that it happens in innings one through nine, where basically teams are like, oh, let's just try and hit a home run and we'll win. So like, at least the the rule brings some like diversity of play into into effect. Again, like I'm not saying it's it's perfect and I'm not even sure that like I, lo- I, I love it, but I think there are some facets to it that are kind of overlooked. Yeah, I don't have I saw someone tweet the other day and I don't have like the exact game log in front of me. So I'm just sort of paraphrasing here where their team had lost and someone had tweeted like, oh, I love to see my team lose because of a, a fielder's choice and a, a wild pitch and a ground out. And I'm thinking to myself, um, but wait a minute. Now, are we only wanting to lose on home runs? Like that's this kind of goes to what you said, the other ways to score runs. And I, like I said, I don't like the seven inning doubleheader. So this is not just about like, oh, there's a change and I'm going to like it. That's not true. Yeah, I if you push this back by one inning, all right, give me a regular tenth, start this in the eleventh, I would be perfectly satisfied with that. I wonder if that extra one inning would change anybody's mind. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with uh, a pair of players that you should be talking more about, and then Matt and I will each have some rants. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Each week, Matt and I like to pick a player you should be talking about a little more. My guy is Philly's multi-positional player, Luke Williams. He's had a really fascinating couple of weeks. You might have heard his story already. I had just sort of noticed like bits and pieces of it through social media. But then when I actually sat down and looked at it, 
I realized this guy's had a month he will remember for the rest of his life. He was a third round pick of the Phillies in 2015. Uh, he was only the number 29 overall prospect in the Phillies system per MLB pipeline this year, although he was named the system's best athlete because he can play a lot of spots. He's very fast. He's never really been a great hitter. But I want you to just think about the last six weeks of this man's life. On May 4th, he starts his first game for AAA Lehigh Valley. He's there for 18 games and plays really well. 352, 439 on base, 465 slugging. Okay. Then he leaves the team because he goes and joins the Team USA Olympic qualifying team. And they played in four games from May 31st to June 5th. He played uh, in all four. He actually led off in the final game, the one that clinched USA's entrance into the Olympics. And he went eight for 18. We are, Matt, at some point going to have to talk about this team because the guys on this team are like Todd Frazier, Matt Kemp, Homer Bailey, Edwin Jackson, Mike Sosha's the manager, old friend Jerry Weinstein's the bench coach. Like when we get to the Olympics, we will have to talk about this. So anyway, he does that while the AAA team is playing without him. That's over with. On June 6th, he flies back to Pennsylvania. And uh, this part I got from Baseball America, and I find it fascinating. The next day, he's here in New York City. He's on the subway with Mickey Moniak going to Nets Bucks game two. And while he's on the subway, he gets the call saying, um, you've been promoted to the major leagues. So like he and Mickey Moniak celebrate on the subway. This also ends his Olympic dream because he wasn't on the 40 man roster. And if you are, you can't play for this Olympics team. So fine. Uh, Two days later, he gets a hit in his first major league plate appearance as a pinch hitter. And then on June 10th, his first major league start hits a walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth with two outs. The Phillies were down one, nothing. They won two to one. I looked up the win probability here. That was a 91% win probability added play. It is the biggest play in the majors since September of 2019. This all happened in six weeks to Luke Williams. He has started five games. Here's where he started those five games. Center field, third base, second base twice, right field, and he's also filled in at shortstop. I don't know if Luke Williams has a long career ahead of him, but I do know no one's had a six weeks like this, and now I'm glad I know about it. Um. That is that is a great backstory. The Olympic team stuff, it reminds me of that 2000 Olympic team where like it was a bunch of prospects and guys like the Homer Bailey of their time where like, you know, Ben Sheets was the ace of the staff, but like Pat Borders was the veteran catcher behind the plate <laughs> and they won the gold medal. Uh, Adam McAlvey um, did a really good like oral history of that team on MLB.com, which I suggest anyone um, interested to go and uh, go and uh, check it out and uh, and or find it on Google, I'm sure. Uh, and uh, I think that's what the Olympic team is going to be like this year. You know, like, you know, guys like Todd Frazier and Matt Kemp, and you'll probably get a few um, interesting prospects on the team as well, which should be, which should be fun. Um, My player we should be talking more about is admittedly a bit more famous than Luke Williams, but have you noticed how good Taiwan Walker has been this year? Um, And it's sort of surprising because he's been just kind of just a guy for seemingly forever, but he, was at one time a top prospect. He was actually a first-round pick of the Mariners in 2010. Um, uh, he was actually only 17 years old when he was drafted, so he's actually a little younger than you think. He turns 29 in August. And he was ranked as high as no- the number five overall prospect in baseball prior to the t- 2013, at least according to um, MLB Pipeline. He was used in a bunch of trades, never really like he – was, he was in the trade that sent um, where uh, – he was traded by the Mariners with Kettle Marte to the Diamondbacks for Zach Curtis, Mitch Hanniger, and Gene Segura. So that was kind of a big trade in 2016. Never really panned out. Signed, as a, signed with the, the Mariners as a free agent uh, prior to last season. He was fine. And then 
He signed a two-year deal with the Mets prior to this year. Um, he says the Mets were his only offer. He said that after his last start, and he's been kind of incredible. Um, 2.12 ERA, career-high strikeout rate of 26.8%, and there actually is a visible difference in how he's doing it. Um, he's actually relying more on a sinker. Um, you know, in 2018, he basically didn't throw it. 2019, he didn't throw it at all, even though he was hurt. I mean, he barely pitched, so he, but he didn't throw it at all. 2020, 11.3%. This year, 26%. Meanwhile, his his four-seamer, whereas in, in 2018 was 65%, it's down to 30% right now. So he, he almost equally throws the four-seamer and the two-seamer. And if you watch him pitch... He's gotten really good at like, you know, it's like the, I always I always think of, you know, I'm not saying he's throwing it like Greg Maddox, to be clear, but that's the pitcher I associate it with. The right-handed pitcher throwing an inside uh, front door um, two-seam fastball to left-handed hitters. It's one of my favorite pitches in the game um, that, you know, Greg, Greg Maddox kind of made famous. And Walker's been able to sort of like, you know, throw his own version of that pitch. So there's definitely something different in what he's doing, which while I don't necessarily expect him to maintain a 2.12 ERA, all year um there's there's there seems to be something here he said the other day that the mets were the only team to give him an offer right he signed for two years uh, at 20 million 10 million each do you believe that and i don't i don't mean to say that in the sense that i think he's being you know untruthful or anything like that but uh he was pretty good for the jays down the stretch last year and Every team on the planet needed pitching. And I also feel like if nobody else was interested, the Mets were not giving him $10 million a year for two years, right? Like, is this just the semantics of like, oh, other teams talked to my agent, but there wasn't like an official offer made? I, I saw him say that and that was it was surprising to me. Like, it's hard to believe that's actually how it played out. Yeah, it's probably a little bit of a figure of speech, more of like maybe they're the only team that made a competitive offer or made me feel like, you know, they're the only team that would be like an offer that that seems serious, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So it's probably, I think you're, you're probably right. It's probably more in um, in in that realm. But he's he's been really good, and he's also, as I said, he's younger than you would think. So like it's a two year deal. So he'll, you know, he's going to hit free agency again at you know age thirty. Um, and if this is something approaching like real, um, this sort of you know renaissance that like. You know, he'll be 30 and hitting the free agent market again. And, um, you know, we've seen some of these, like, I feel like in, in recent years, we've seen some of these, like, former top prospect pitchers take a while to develop, but get there a little later in their careers. Uh, you and I were chatting yesterday. You mentioned Lance Lynn. I think Zach Wheeler is kind of another example. So it's like it wouldn't be unheard of. So we've, we've seen this career progression. You know why I know about him? I can tell you exactly why. Because when they signed him, I pointed out that um, you know I was I had never been a terribly huge fan of his just over the years. And last year when he was traded to Toronto, he did have a 137 ERA, but of the ten runs he allowed, only four of them were earned because there was one like total disaster uh, against the Yankees where he'd allowed seven runs and only one was earned. So I tweeted like, "Hey, he seems like a great guy. Like, good for the Mets adding depth." I'm not I'm not sure. You know what kind of pitcher he's going to be, and obviously he's been fantastic. So you know, that's, I'll take the loss on that. Um, but Mets fans have been constantly reminding me of this. So yes, I I did know. All right, Matt and I are going to finish off with rants, our purpose pitches. I've actually got one and a half rants for you. I have a bonus rant. The first one is about Albert Pujols and the reaction to Albert Pujols. So when the Angels cut him loose, I think we all kind of thought that was the end of the line. I'm pretty sure I'd said they should have cut him loose like two years ago. And to his credit, he's been pretty good for the Dodgers. You know, he's slugged 522 and he's got a 129 OPS plus. 
he has been dreadful against righties, uh, 421 OPS in 32 plate appearances, but he's crushing lefties, right? OPS of over a thousand uh, in 39 plate appearances. So like when, you know, the team had some injuries and in this very limited usage of play a little first crush lefties, he's, he's been good. So like wonderful. That's great. And the Dodgers have been better with him than without him. They were 22 and 18 when they signed him and they are 19 and nine since he arrived. And so I've definitely seen some stories saying, Oh, Pujols like gave them the juice they need and he's revitalized the clubhouse and all this. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay. But like this team was never going to be a 500 team. Um, of course they were going to like Max Muncy before he got hurt has been amazing. You know, Mookie Betts has been better lately. Will Smith has been really good lately. Chris Taylor has been good. Like this is a good team starting to get healthier. And if you want to say that the arrival of Pujols has helped them become a better team, may I point out to you that the angels were 13 and 15 with him and they are 20 and 20 without him. They have been better without him also been better without Mike Trout. I don't really understand what's happening with the Angels, but it, it is possible that adding him was a smart decision that's worked out. And also separately, the Dodgers were going to be better than a 500 team, <laughs> right? Both of those things can be true simultaneously. So that's my first right. Here's my second one. It is related because it is also uh, about the Angels. Yesterday, Shohei Otani, who has obviously been great, uh, crushed a ball in his first at bat. And then later in the game, he laid down a bunt for a hit and stole second. And it was like a really cool display of all the things he can do, right? Elite power, uh, fantastic speed. Like he is an all around, just a wonder. And then uh, Joe Madden after the game was quoted as saying, it was 1985 baseball all over again. What he was doing as a leadoff hitter getting on base was unselfish, profound. Whenever I talk about his instincts or baseball acumen, there it is. He's a real thinking man's baseball player. And to me, I think the bunt was more impressive than the 600-foot homer. And here I feel obligated to point out that Otani did not score and the Angels lost the game. And I don't want to get into like, you know, a bunting argument again. Like I don't, he got a hit. That's that's great. Um, I think I would like when you have a really rough pitching staff and bullpen to score runs <laughs> and win baseball games. But that's just me. So there we go. <laughs> Um, my rant is related to the big topic of the week uh, in baseball this week, which is the implementation of the new rules surrounding pitchers using um, foreign substances um, starting June 21st, which is Monday. Basically, uh, as you, you probably heard, umpires will now be empowered to sort of will be to check check starting pitchers regularly. And I think relief pitchers either once an inning or when they leave the game, something along those those lines, checking them for foreign substances. Previously, it was basically incumbent on the other team to sort of say, hey, you know, this guy's using something, check his glove, we think it's illegal. Now, the problem became that no team was ever doing that because they knew that their guys were doing it too. So they didn't want to call out another team because they were going to get called on it as well. That's actually not part of my rant. What my rant is about is one of the arguments I'm hearing from players is, the pitchers, is we need the stick, we need to be able to use this sticky stuff or more guys will get hit. It's a safety issue. We're just looking out for the players. It sounds great, except the hit-by-pitch rate is higher than it has ever been, right? The the four highest seasons in since the mound was raised in terms of – actually, I take it back, since like 1901, the four highest hit-by-pitch per team game. Last year was the highest ever. This year is number two, and then three and four were 2019 and 2018, right? We're talking about 0.46 batters hit per team per game. 1968, the year of the picture, the Bob Gibson era when men were men and, you know, guys were getting buzzed all the time, that number was 0.24. It is literally twice as high as it was in 1968, right? And while we're at it, 
this is my secondary rant. I'm actually, I've, that has always bothered me, this idea like, oh, well, Bob, when Bob Gibson pitched, he would, you know, just brush back everyone and he would plunk you if he didn't like the way you walked to home plate and all that. Bob Gibson averaged one hit by pitch per 38 innings in his career. He never hit more than 13 batters in a season in 1966. Austin Adams, a relief pitcher, has hit 11 batters this season. Garrett Cole averages one hit by pitch per 30 innings pitched. Trevor Bauer, one hit by pitch, one by hit by pitch per 19 innings pitched, twice as frequently as Bob Gibson. So anyway, there's two rants, one of which is there's no evidence that this is preventing guys from getting hit. Guys are getting hit more than ever. And second of which, let's not pretend like there was some like glory, glory, glorious age where like pitchers were intimidating and now they've gotten soft because there's no evidence that that is the case. Yeah, there is actually some evidence um, that the hitters are somewhat responsible for all the hit by pitches because uh, they don't move out of the way and they're wearing body armor in ways that weren't the, the case before. I, I completely agree with you about how people think that, you know, Don Drysdale and Bob Gibson were just like straight up murderers, right? Which is like never been true. That has never been true. And, you know, we all have a, a lot of thoughts about the the whole topic uh, du jour. Like last week, that was part of my rant. Um, as I've said, I probably would have implemented the change slightly differently, but I think everyone agrees that uh, it is necessary. Like if we're going to have like yet another rant, part of what it is, I've heard people say, well, this has been going on for 150 years. Why now? And it's like, that's that's true. But um, for much of that time, it was like sunscreen and spit. And now it's like literally chemists in labs whipping up space age stuff. That is what has changed over the last couple <laughs> of years. And it it's not the reason for strikeouts and offense, but it's certainly a reason. And, uh, you know, while you can argue about the logistics of the implementation, I, I think most people agree uh, this is something that had to be done. And um, we'll see what happens with it. That will do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We'll see you next week. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB.